welcome into episode 68 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. We're recording fresh after another Canucks win over the Sens. So, Doug, why don't we take this right into the gameplay? Let's do it. Canucks finished off a mini two-game set against the Montreal Canadiens with a 5-1 loss. Not too many highlights from a Canucks per- perspective, but Brock Besser did net his 14th of the season. Canucks score in the third. Tyler Myers gives the Canucks a 2-1 win. Bo Horvat earlier. Again, the story, though, is Thatcher Demko and a regulation win for the Canucks. Canucks come back to beat the Ottawa Senators 4-3 in overtime. The OT winner was scored by JT Miller, and Thatcher Demko was the big story again with a 45-save performance. More Thatcher Demko against Ottawa. The Canucks blow another 2-0 lead against the Sens and win in extra time, this time in a shootout. Demko stops all four. Gaudet with the only goal in there. Besser and Horvat, who have probably been the Canucks' two best forwards as of late, with the only goal. Well, Doug, how you doing? How's uh, how's the week been? Uh, it's been okay. Uh, haven't really slept. I don't know why. I just haven't been able to get much sleep lately. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm. I, I average six hours of sleep, and I feel tired for the first thirty minutes I wake up, and then after that, I'm just I'm good to go. I hear that. It's probably something with the moon. That's what they always uh, blame it on. Is is the moon? Because you're not you're not drinking these days either, so you should be sleeping better. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a couple of whiskeys here and there. It's probably the five cups of coffee I have at work every day that mm. <laughs> that's probably doing it to me. So, you know, what's funny is uh, that last episode we recorded and I had that macchiato before. I was still up at two in the morning and that macchiato was probably at five or so in the evening. Again, that's something I never do. So there is that element to it. But I'm with you, man. I, I drink too much coffee. I, I just love the whole routine of having coffee in the morning and unfortunately the morning sometimes goes into late morning bordering on lunchtime as well so that's not a good thing the other big thing is try cutting down on the blue light and uh, the screen time in the evening I don't know if uh, you do that but I do that too much and I'm trying to trying to read in bed and keep my screens away from bed a lot more and I've got a whole stack of books I'm working on right now so trying to do that as well yeah, I agree. Uh, trying to get away from uh, the screens all the time. And, you know, even for myself, you know, just deciding, you know, if I'm going to stay off Twitter today, you know, it's a game day or whatever, or not a game day part of me, you know, try to stay off Twitter, you do whatever you can. Uh, reading obviously is a great option as well. Um, even just like painting, like I bought some paints and like a couple of canvases and I'm a terrible painter. Uh awful i have no artistic (laughs) merit whatsoever however i do find it really relaxing and enjoyable to just kind of get some newspaper spread all over the coffee table get a couple of paint knives blotch some paint colors down and then just see what happens yeah don't be doing that in bed i have a feeling you'd have some unhappy family members with that one hey i uh when i opened twitter this morning everything was just going nuts about Jimmy Vc signing. It was only a couple of minutes earlier, just uh, the way my day timed. It was right when the news broke. So the Canucks get Jimmy Vc. Looked like he was going to play tonight. And then the whole work visa issues, he's not able to play. That's a, that's a new one for me. What do you make of the, the Vc signing? Do you like it? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard not to like it, right? He It's a free player. All it costs the Canucks really is money and a contract. 
VC was fairly highly touted coming out of college. He came out of college as an uh, overager. He did the full four years, refused to sign with Nashville, which I never like when players do that. Uh, ended up signing with the New York Rangers as a free agent, former Hobie Baker winner as well. Um, he scored, I believe, 16, 18 goals a couple times in his career. Uh, for whatever reason, he's not able to get into the Toronto Maple Leafs lineup on a day-to-day basis. They do have a fairly deep squad uh, through lines one through four. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's an easy addition, a free addition for the Canucks. And let's see how he looks and how he plays and where he slots in. Yeah, VC's first three years in the league, he averaged between 16 and 17 goals. He's pretty consistent. But then he had uh, his first year in Buffalo, his numbers dropped. And then in Toronto, his numbers have dropped in half again. So he's down to, to five goals. But that's still, that's one goal in every six games, which by Canucks' bottom six standards, that's uh, that's an improvement. I, I always thought of VC as well. The Hobie Baker was the first thing that came to mind when I thought of Jimmy VC. And I know the Canucks were in on him, but he ended up going to the Rangers. So... I mean, it's an interesting move. He is UFA. It's may as well see what you got here. Do you think this kind of opens the door more, though, for a player going out? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, right? I mean, problem Tanner Pearson hurt himself tonight. (laughs) Who knows how long he'll be out? So that's a thing uh, for all the people that were kind of hoping or speculating that Tanner Pearson could be a trade chip. Um, You got to assume the Canucks are going to do something. And again, you know, I'm not trying to be a down and out fan or think the worst, any of that. But if you look at the games in hand, and if you look at actually the winning percentage, not just the points, but the actual winning percentage, the Canucks have a monumental hill to climb and the likelihood of them actually making the playoffs is very, very unlikely. You love to see Thatcher Demko get on this hot streak and be given the crease game in, game out. You love to see guys like Hoglander progress in his rookie year, Besser getting sco- getting his scoring touch back. But I think realistically, the Canucks should definitely be trying to shop their pending UFAs. If you look at points in the North right now, the Canucks are one point back of a playoff spot behind the Montreal Canadiens at this moment. While we're recording this, the Battle of Alberta has just started. So again, someone right around the Canucks is going to get points. Now, it's kind of better, I guess, for the Oilers to win this one to keep the Flames behind. But the Flames, after this game, have three games in hand. The Habs, one point in front, have five games in hand. I mean, every model that you see of the Canucks, who have 23 games left, it has them finishing in sixth. And I think, you know, we have won six of seven. But there is going to be a point here where you have to make the decision as what to do with some of these and what assets you're able to move out. I mean, Brandon Sutter is a is a good option as well right now. I know Jordy Benton is another guy we've talked about. There's the whole Edler and Hamannick things, though they have full no-move clauses. And you got to think, at what point here, and especially with the quarantine rules, you got to think a lot of these moves the Canucks may have to take salary back because there's a lot of teams in tight spots as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't know. I, I think the Canucks are going to be quieter than a lot of fans would like at the deadline that's my guess I do think Toronto right now is setting themselves up to get a little bit more flexibility because we know they're open for business this could be a precursor to the Canucks and Leafs maybe making another move I know all the Canadian teams are even with the waiver wire as well are liking to keep things within the division at the moment and as you saw with the VC thing today he was almost able to 
to play. And you saw with Forsberg as well, going from the Jets to the Sens, it makes things a lot easier. So we'll see what, what happens here. I think VC is just going to be another guy that gets some looks, whether it's just for this 23 games, whether he stays with the team, whether he gets put back onto waivers. Not really sure. I don't know what to make of it because I feel that we already have a very crowded forward core, although I do think VC is an upgrade on several pieces that we have. Yeah, I mean, if you look at things Jim Benning said to the media, and you, you got to assume that they do want to at least try to re-sign Tanner Pearson, I do think they're going to explore trading Brandon Sutter. What the return will be on that, who knows? The Canucks are probably still going to have to eat a portion of his salary in order to make a trade work. So many teams are up against the cap this year. Alex Edler, love Edler. You know, he's been a great Canuck. There's been speculation that he'd be willing to waive his no-trade clause uh, to go to a contender and hopefully compete for a Stanley Cup. But Edler's making $6 million a year. And obviously, you know, that's averaged to be less... Uh, today than it was at the beginning of the season, obviously, because he's earned certain paychecks throughout the course of the year. But I don't know too many teams that are going to be able to take on Edler's salary uh, heading into the trade deadline. You know, maybe you can make it work, but you're going to have to take money back. Um, and at least I was just scouring the North Division on Cap Friendly, and I didn't see too many bad contracts the Canucks could take back in a potential Edler trade that would make sense. Uh, it is interesting though. Uh, I, I, like I said, I, I'm optimistic that Sutter will be dealt. And then there's lots of speculation about Tyler Mott. And I know you're a big Mott fan and he's really won me over too. And he does have that extra year heading into next year. I mean, I'm not saying the guy is untouchable, but you know, could Mott fetch you a late first round pick a la Barkley Goudreau from a year or two ago? Something you'd have to consider. Uh, I'd be really interested in that as well if you could make that a 2022 first. You know my thoughts on the draft this year. It's a little bit more of a crapshoot than other years, and I would really like the team to be more focused on acquiring 2022 draft picks and just getting more assets as, cause as well with the Canucks is going into that offseason after 2022. A lot of these bad contracts, recaptures, everything, they're all off the books. You're not going to be talking about Luongo and Erickson and all these other things anymore. And the Canucks may have a bit more of a window then in terms of money coming off and more assets. And that's more what I would like to see. 14 NHL teams, including the Canucks, have under a million dollars in cap space right now. And most of those are playoff teams and most of those are American teams. The bottom four teams in the league with cap space are not going to make the playoffs. And that's the Senators, Wings, Kings, and Devils. They're not going to make it. The team that has the most cap space right now out of all the playoff teams is the Florida Panthers, followed closely by the Carolina Hurricanes. And the Panthers have 3.5 and the Canes 2.5. So those could be some trading partners. But again, if you have to take anything back, you got to start thinking about that with the two weeks, unless you retain salary. I don't know if Francesco is going to like that. But those are two teams as well I'd watch as possible trading partners for the Canucks is the Panthers and the Hurricanes just because they do have more wiggle room but after that yeah I mean if you're talking about trying to make a, a trade with the Toronto Maple Leafs right now they've got a they've got no cap space essentially right now so what do you do you either have to retain salary or take something back if you make a, a, a trade with them so it's really complicated and that's why I'm not holding my breath about there being a lot of trades this year I just uh, as much as I would like it 
I, I don't know if we're going to see that much activity. Yeah, it also feels like it's been far too long since the Canucks and Panthers uh, made a deal with one another. So maybe that's a possibility. It's true. We're, we're definitely due for that. Hey, what did you think of those jerseys the Canucks had for the warm-up tonight? I guess the Sens had similar ones as well. But what did you think of those those Irish O jerseys? Yeah, they were pretty cool. They were fun, playful, you know, and I don't think uh, anyone really got wind of them being a thing until, you know, just before the game today. Uh, early this morning, I believe the Canucks Twitter account uh, posted photos of those jerseys. Um, yeah, I thought they were cool. I don't mind them. I got a kick out of O. Schmidt. That one made me, me laugh a little <laughs> bit. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canucks Speak. Give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And as always, Pete and I are growing this ever-growing playlist on Spotify. It's the Canucks Speakeasy Outro Playlist. Give that a follow if you need some funky jams to help get you through your work week. Doug, let's get into the Around the Room segment where we talk about things going on around the league that don't necessarily particularly pertain to the Canucks. I think you're going to want to hear this. Uh, no, I'm just playing. I'm, I'm having fun here at the hockey game. I know we talked about the Sabres last week, but I think that's as good a place to start as they finally fired their coach and Ralph Kruger. What is up with the Sabres here? They have lost 12 in a row now. They lost to a team that had lost 11 in a row last night. I mean, the writing was on the wall. Ralph Kruger was really classy and leaving the organization as well. But when are they going to start moving pieces? And Taylor Hall in particular is one I wanted to bring up. There's a really good tweet I saw today that I had to take a picture of uh, from Spud McKenzie, at Spuddy McKenzie. Taylor Hall's coaches since joining the NHL in Edmonton, Tom Rennie, Ralph Kruger, Dallas Eakins, Todd Nelson, Todd McClellan. In Jersey, John Hines and Elaine Nazardine. In Arizona, Rick Tockett. In Buffalo, Ralph Kruger and Don Granado. His longest time with a coach was Rennie with 164 games and Hines with 272 games. That's a lot of coaches in Taylor Hall's career. And now you're talking about possibly trading him to another one again. Do you trade Taylor Hall? Yeah, I mean, he only signed a one-year deal. I think the thought was Buffalo would hopefully be pushing for a playoff spot this year. Uh, Eichel would take another step. Darlene would kind of, you know, finally take that next step as well. They still have major issues uh, in net. They need to address their goaltending. Ristolainen's had a pretty good back, bounce back year. I know he was a guy that had been rumored um that the Canucks management were looking at acquiring and a lot of people were not happy with that because they thought Ristolainen and his underlining numbers, especially defensively were terrible, but he's been fairly solid. One of the few bright spots for the Sabres this year. But when you got Taylor Hall, Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner, each with two goals on the season, each totaling six goals between those three forwards and the money those three guys are making. I mean, that's your that's your failed season and Ralph Kruger being fired in a nutshell. Chuck Kyle Pozo in there as well, and that's $33 million for four forwards who just aren't producing. Uh, Sam Reinhart and Victor Olofsson, they've been doing okay, but... Sabres, they're open for business. They're going to be making moves. Again, I don't know if... I think Taylor Hall would be the exception. He's got to waive a no-movement clause as well in order to to go, which I'm sure he would because of what's going on over there. But those three guys, 
up front, I mean, Eichel's out right now. There's been rumors about him. There's been rumors about Darlene. I don't think anyone's safe in Buffalo right now. Have you been following the Rangers at all the past 24 hours with the, the coaching staff all getting put down on COVID? They bring in their Hartford coaches and just absolutely trounce the Flyers. I miss the coaches uh, having to go into uh, COVID pro. I almost said concussion protocol, <laughs> COVID protocol. Um, but I did see that, yeah, it was 9 nothing heading into the third period. Yeah, and that's how it finished. Seven goals in the seconds. Abinajad had six points there, but I just saw it. I've never seen any. I mean, obviously, there's so many things this year we've never seen before. But to bring in your farm team coaches on an emergency basis and win nine nothing against a division rival, a team that you're actually behind in the standings as well for fifth place in the division. Uh, that's just something I had to mention because it's so bizarre. Yeah, and I've got Carter Hart in both my fantasy leagues, and man, he just he has been so disappointing this year. The guy in my pool who has Mika Zibanejad is a Flyers fan, so I thought that was pretty ironic as well. Um, the NHL draft, Doug, I know this was something we talked about earlier in the week. It sounds like it is now staying in July, which I guess isn't that surprising. I, I wonder if Seattle wasn't coming in, if that would change things a little bit. What do you think about this? Do you what do you, like? I mean, I, I know I keep saying this, but this is a weird draft to scout for, and I'm just worried with the Canucks. They've they've done well with scouting the last few years. Uh, they they really have, but you got guys who aren't playing or playing very little, and you got you're relying on video coming out to scout these guys. What do you think of this July draft? Is it going to be a total crapshoot? I think players that were scheduled to play in the CHL, yes. I think you're going to maybe see, a, especially in the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds, I think you're going to see a lot more college players taken, potentially a lot more players who are playing over in Europe taken. And the CHL players, like, yeah, they're the ones who are at the biggest disadvantage this year. I mean, I believe the WHL is about to start playing some games here. I could be wrong. Uh, I'm not 100% sure if the OHL started playing games yet. I don't think they have. And those are the players that are essentially being affected the most in this this what is such an important developmental year for these guys uh they're the ones who are being really affected but i do think you're going to see a lot of the u.s college players still being drafted where you think they're they should be drafted a lot of the european players getting drafted where you should where you think they would be getting drafted and you might see a lot of the a lot of those you know fringe players be taken earlier just because there's more tape and more scouting available on uh, their development this year. It's going to be an interesting one. I really do think that if Seattle wasn't coming in this year, that they would have moved it back. That's my take with it all. And I think they should have, but Hey, whatever, it's going to be wild. Maybe you can hit a couple of homers and maybe then there is value in just taking picks this year. Cause it gives you more shots in the barrel. Lastly, there was a big eruption on Twitter today as well. Gord Miller and barstool sports. I want to say, Versus, but it was never versus. It got blown completely out of hand by one side of this and has become, it's, it's really made, in my opinion, it's made Barstool look really bad about this. Ryan Whitney put out a video which was made him just look like a complete jackass, I, I thought, uh, with him at Disneyland. And if you look at what Gordon Miller said, he just said he he's he respects the spit and chiclet guys. He likes them, but he wouldn't go on because of barstool sports. And that's fair enough. That's his opinion. People just lose their mind. What do you think about all this? 
Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, that the Barstool fans are they're yeah, they're some of the worst fans out there. It's like, you know, when you like a band, but you don't like the band because the fans are so bad, but in this case the band is actually really terrible as well. Um Look, Barstool loves to trump their own horn and say all the good they're doing and, you know, oh, we've helped small businesses here and there. And you know what? That's great. You know, I will give credit to that. Good for them for doing that. But the I think the biggest issue is the fact that they've never taken accountability or said, hey, yeah, you know what? We used to say some shit that was pretty bad and pretty stupid and misogynistic and, you know, thinking really bad jokes about sexual assault or funny and stuff like that, but they've never backed down from that. They just keep doubling down and doubling down and, and their fans just go to bat for them. It's like they have this like army of like trolls just waiting to be given the order to start attacking people just because you were negative about them. And like you said, what Gord Miller said was like, it, he just said, Hey, someone asked him, would you ever go on the spit and chicklets podcast? And he said, no, because of their affiliation with Bar- Bar- Barstool and he's not a fan. And then that immediately turned into like this two day, you know, eruption and, for all those people that, you know, have criticized Barstool over and over again, well, yeah, they're right. You're seeing exactly their points being proven about how they do go after people and they do attack people and they do incite their fans to attack anyone who criticizes the brand. And for me, you know what I really fucking, well, again, there's a lot of things to hate about. But the other thing too is, you know, I'm a Patriots fan, you know, love the Patriots, but Barstool is out of Boston. So there's this association that, oh, if you're a Patriots fan, you've got to be a big Barstool guy, and I'm definitely not. I can't stand them. That's just my opinion. Who cares about my opinion? I'm some lowly dude who has a podcast in Vancouver. I'm not here to get into any fights with these trolls. But, you know, yeah, just that association with, you know, the Patriots is unfortunate. How they are constantly misogynistic, and they're constantly, you know, kind of, just you know putting down women and it just it just boggles my mind that they're never willing to actually take accountability for the shit they say i think it's become a bit of a lightning rod i do think there are hockey fans out there who listen to spit and chicklets who do take offense to a lot of the criticism against it because they like the podcast and i haven't listened to spit and chicklets in a long time I know that from what I've heard, they've gotten a lot better with a lot of things. And I do think there are hockey fans out there who think that if you're attacking Barstool, you're attacking them as people because they listen to spit and chiclets as well. And I do think there's that sense of defense. Probably there's probably a lot of normal dudes out there who listen to spit and chiclets and are like, well, no, it's not like that anymore. Yeah, okay, there's problems with Barstool, but I'm not like that, so I got to defend it. I think there's an element of that too. Uh, I This though, for me, this is a classic classic case of one person says something and it gets completely blown out of proportion and twisted and and what Gord Miller said and his daughter was also quite vocal on, on Twitter to, as well and it's it, it for me it's just kind of one of these things where Twitter brings out the worst in people I I agree with what Gord is saying I think that's great that he made that stance I, I like that I just wish that people could respect that better, right? It's a, I, Again, I think the Barstool people, they have this lightning rod with them, though, that they feel that any time anyone says anything against it, they either got to defend it or prove that, like, hey, I'm not that type of person. And, 
you're not attacking me like that. There's a lot of personal attacks that people feel from this. So for me, I think, you know, it, it's I just everyone just needs to chill out, listen to what you want, but don't support things that you don't believe in. And that's what Gord Miller's doing. And uh, just stick with your morals and, and go from that. Doug, it looks like you got something to add to that. Yeah, the other thing that you keep seeing a lot of these you know, idiots say, and again, I don't want to get into the name calling, but like a lot of people keep saying, oh, it's a joke. It's it, it's just a joke. I'm like, look, I understand art, humor. It's all subjective, but like some of these things aren't even funny. It's like, it's not mm-hmm. funny whatsoever. I don't understand how, like, it's a joke. I thought a joke is meant to be funny. It's not. It's sexist. It's tasteless. It's like... A lot of the times it just doesn't even make sense. Like, I'm like, what What, what are you talking about? Like I, like, I feel dumb that I learned who this fucking Vindog 469 or whatever the fuck this guy's name is. Like, I feel like an idiot that I know who that guy is now. I should never know who that guy is. I don't, I don't care who that guy ever is, but he's apparently some lapdog that just starts uh, sending, like, troll memes to people as soon as he's given word from anyone at Barstool because that person was harassing them and just yeah to constantly say oh it was a joke and i find it funny it's like okay you know if you think uh jokes about sexual assault are funny or you think joke you know racial jokes are funny then yeah i think it's time that you take a long look in the mirror and you know figure out that uh these things aren't actually funny and if someone's actually offended and by it uh you should actually you know take a look in the mirror and realize hey you know what I'm sorry I offended you. Yeah, we could uh, we could get well into this, but I think we both said what we got to say with that. We 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 kind of were debating whether to bring this up or not, but I think it's it's worse to be silent about it than to say what we want to say, and and hopefully it comes across in the in the right way. Um, we're not, you know, again, if you're out there and you're listening to Spit and Chicklets, we're not calling you a problem. We're just saying that this whole issue of someone's speaking their opinion and getting completely blown out everyone needs to just be a little more respectful with this and i I agreed that anything misogynistic or racist you know how i feel about that a bigotry is like my biggest pet peeve so that place has no room here and that's why we're the speakeasy we can everyone can say what they want and uh keep it open and keep it friendly Doug, let's take this into Chirpin, where we break out tweets from the Twitter universe after I I was just slagging on it for a while there. But there are a lot of good people out there, and there's a lot of good tweets out there in the Canucks Twitter sphere. So do you want to go first, Doug, or should I go first? No, I've got mine already queued up. Uh, my My first chirp is from Hugh Sky. You can follow them at Canucks Psycho. That's S Y K O. Give Canucks management kudos. They never rushed Thatcher Demko development-wise. They masterfully developed him into where he is now. Got him the finest of goalie coaches from the beginning with goalie whisperer Roland Melance, then Dan Cluche, and now Ian Clark. Yeah, I mean, the Canucks have had a good history of goalies as of late and developing them. I mean, Thatcher Demko, you see, I mean, Di Pietro is, uh, obviously this year is a bit of a, kind of a question mark with it but the Canucks have taken their time Corey Schneider as well another guy they took time with 
this is one thing that they've done well for sure is they take their time with goalies and always have the next one up and when the time is ready Thatcher Demko comes in and I I love it as well I I think what we're seeing out of Demko and we're going to talk more about Demko later as well uh, I I like the approach I feel like with a goalie and I, I remember feeling this with Schneider as well was it felt like he was ready a season before he played and that extra little bit of seasoning no pun intended really does help them out so i i'm a big fan of that all right trip number one from me this is from pucker glenn you can follow him at pucker glenn i just feel like mott michaelis howerluck could be a whole new dimension line this team needs to shake up the look of the team yeah i mean i agree uh i was a little surprised that uh, since VC was a no-go that they decided to dress Chatfield as a seventh defenseman instead of putting Michaelis back in. Cause I would have loved to seen that line tonight of, of Michaelis, Howard Luck and Mott. Yeah. I, w- I mean, I'd like it too. Uh, McEwen's another guy in there. I'd like to see, I think Mott and Howard Luck have very similar styles of play and I'd like to see them play together a little bit more. And my final chirp is from friend of the show crew. Frank, give him a follow at K R U Frank. Arthur Staple of The Athletic suggests Pearson and or Sutter could be in play for the New York Islanders. Thinks a second could land Pearson and then would have to retain some money on a Sutter trade. No word on what kind of a return Sutter could bring. Okay, so Pearson for a second. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that would be fair market value out there. I mean, in, in past years, teams have overpaid for guys like Pearson and Pearson would get you a second I think this year again a little different the the value of it may change especially if he is going to an American team but I don't know if there's any quarantine rules in New York or not right now so that's something else that would work in favor retaining salary and Sutter if it brings something back uh, I think Canucks fans would be all over that if the Canucks were not to move anyone I think this fan base would be pretty upset and if you're retaining a bit of salary I mean at the end of the day is still spending less on payroll you got to think ownership would be okay with that even if you are paying a part of a guy's salary to play for another team but you're not going to play against that team all year if you could get a second and a third for Pearson and a Sutter I think a lot of Canucks fans would be pretty happy about that Anders Lee just went out for the season as well. So you got to think there'll be some uh, cap relief to the Islanders once they put them on LTIR. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I was seeing as well. Is there? There's definitely a need there. Lou Lamorello is shrewd. He won't overpay. He will look around, see what's out there. I know that there's been a lot of talk with the Devils and the Sabers as well, but. I mean, I I think they're they're a team that that's playing really well again. Is that'll be the team I'm cheering for in the playoffs? Is the Islanders? I mean, you look at them; they are tied with the Capitals for first in their division, and I think you know bringing in someone like Tanner Pearson, I think he would fit in really well there, and he knows that division as well with uh, with his time in Pittsburgh. So again, if uh, you get a second and a third for those two guys, geez, uh, I'd be happy with it. And I'm sure a lot of Canucks fans would be nice again, though, if one of those picks could be 2022. All right. Final chirp from me. This is from Bono's captaincy and you can follow them at Hillary R 53, just like Bo. You know what stresses me out? Mikey DiPietro being 21 sitting on the taxi squad all season. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Canucks got to figure out what to do with Di Pietro. They got to get him some games. I know there was a lot of talk that a lot of talk that the Canucks should have claimed uh, Forsberg off the waiver wire instead of VC. The problem with that, the only way they could that would work is they would still have to put Forsberg back on waivers to put him on the taxi squad. And I know there's a lot of people who think, oh, why don't you put Holtby there? It's not going to happen. The Canucks aren't putting Holtby. I know, you know, in a lot of ways that could work and it would make sense for some, to some people, but it's just not happening. It's it, it, it's not a possibility. Uh, I, I am worried about his development this year, uh, why the Canucks didn't just sign a really cheap goaltender in the offseason and assign DPSO right out of camp to Utica is still a little bit baffling. I know there were some thoughts that, you know, perhaps that they could have lent him to one of the AHL teams in Canada. So if they did need to recall him, he wouldn't have to cross the border. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it, it is concerning for sure. He hasn't played a game in over a year now. So, I mean, it's it there is some valuable experience he's getting with being with the big club, but you can't really replace a game. Absolutely not. Well, Doug, we just watched the Canucks beat the Senators again 3 to 2 and again in extra time. A win is a win, but all of a sudden the Canucks have won 7 of their 9 games this month which is a, a stark turnaround from what happened in February. It seems like not playing as often as they did has definitely helped this team out. However, they're not really winning convincingly. I don't want to shit on the team when they're winning, but against the Sens, both times they blew 2 nothing leads after having solid starts. Both times it was Thatcher Demko. I mean, he made, what, 44 saves in the first game of that back-to-back? Uh, I, I mean, there's just a lot of things. I know injuries are piling up, too. But what is your take right now on the team? They, this is this is kind of classic Canucks hockey in a lot of ways. Is that we we're, we're we're near the bottom of the league, and then we start moving up, which put we'll put ourselves out of the first overall pick, and then of course we'll probably fall on the draft further. And you kind of get in this little no man's land where ownership and management may still think they got a shot at the playoffs. The fans are being realistic and saying, no, you know what, this season is is a write off trade things but you can't underscore the fact enough that they've won seven of nine and Thatcher Demko is playing lights out yeah I mean I think it's right there it's Thatcher Demko uh the Canucks have been outchanced and outshot the majority of the games in this little you know winning uh streak they've been on uh tonight I believe they were outshot again 32 to 28 I believe uh they're getting wins, but they're getting wins because they're relying on their goaltending. And as good as Thatcher Demko has been looking, and he's been looking absolutely amazing, you know, you can't have him having 35, 40 saves a night and expect that to be sustainable long term. Isn't this kind of the same as the last few years, though, with Markstrom, his last two years in Vancouver? I mean, he pretty much kept this team in a lot of games and was also a big reason that they even got into the playoffs in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of fans don't think this is sustainable. And you've seen all these deficiencies in the Canucks defensive game and uh, inconsistent scoring from the bottom six. Uh, Injuries are starting to pile up as well. And often, you know, players generally get are more prone to injury when they're having to play those heavy defensive minutes. Um, 
And you're seeing guys like Russell and Beagle out of the lineup. Obviously, Mott got back today, but he hadn't played a game since early February. Petey's still out of the lineup. Uh, there's been a bit of a cloud of mystery as to what's ailing him. I think it's assumed it's a concussion, uh, but it sounds like Petey's going to be out for probably at least another week. I know he's not going to play on this road trip. I've heard it's a wrist for PD. I've heard that uh, it's a wrist injury, but they're not saying what, because they're saying it is lower body or, or sorry, not lower body. They're saying upper body, but I've heard, uh, I've heard it's a wrist, but they, if he doesn't play on this trip and then you've got your week off, I mean, I don't think we're going to see PD till April. Which, you know, maybe is not a bad thing, right? Like, you know, maybe PD was a little bit banged up, uh, heading into training camp or whatnot or took an injury earlier in the year and it's been bothering him and it makes sense for him to take the time to kind of heal up and get better. Um, so I don't think it's a bad thing. And obviously, like you said, the Canucks have their uh, their break coming up. So I think that'll be good for them as well. And for guys who have those ailing injuries like PD to hopefully be ready for uh, April. And Justin Bailey, another guy who's out the blue line again, somehow is remarkably healthy which is which is kind of crazy that this this has been the Canucks the last couple of years has been remarkably healthy on the blue line it's the forward core that's really taken a beating it has allowed us to see what Jace Howerluck brings to the team and Mark Michaelis Howerluck is again he's he continues to impress again he's not going to be a game changer but it's just nice to see after what we've seen in this bottom six, which you know I, I hate talking about, but after all this bottom six stuff, it's nice to see a different look in there is having these kind of energy guys, guys who can skate a bit more and basically like we talked about earlier, a second Tyler Mott. Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly what the bottom six is needed. They needed more foot speed. Guys like Sutter, guys like Beagle, guys like Russell, Louis Erickson when he was in the lineup more consistently. They were all really, really slow. And to have that kind of boost of energy from Howerluck and obviously Tyler Mott and uh, Mark Michaelis as well and Jimmy VC, you know, I mean, I, I, I would assume he'll slot in the bottom six, but who knows? Uh, maybe they put him in the top six. And even if you shuffle Hoglander to the third line, I mean, that could work as well. Uh, but it's nice to see that. And I think, you know, this goes to prove that you don't, you don't, and you shouldn't be overpaying for your bottom six guys. Right. I mean, VC looks like he could help this team. Howard luck was what the league minimum $900,000. And he's looking more effective than Beagle or Russell have looked this year. Howard Luck's 800000 So again, yeah. And I mean, this is what Toronto is uh, doing, is getting guys on these cheap deals. Uh, Mark Michaelis, I think the reason he didn't play tonight is the Canucks needed to make a roster space for Jimmy Vesey. So they put Michaelis onto the taxi squad because he's waiver exempt. And by the time all this was done, they realized, oh, crap, the only guy left, the only body we have left really is Jalen Chatfield. So I think that's why that all happened today. Yeah, I mean, we talk about the bottom six. I mean, the... The issue that the Canucks have had for several seasons is overpaying. I mean, how many of these guys on three million or so do you need in the bottom six? You don't. Not in this NHL. You got to take advantage of entry level deals, and you got to take advantage of getting guys in on cheaper deals in those bottom roles. And what you're seeing around the league now, more and more teams, as with a flat cap, as they have to pay stars, and the Canucks are certainly in this boat with the three free agents, well, four if you count Godet as well, 
with all these guys coming up, they're going to be having to spend money and you're going to only have availability for guys to come in at league minimums and, and journeyman players. And, you know, like I like Tanner Pearson. He's making 3.75. There's no way I want him back in Vancouver at 3.75. That just doesn't make sense to me. But you don't need that with Roussel at three, with Beagle at three, with with Sutter at, at over four. I mean, part of the model, and this is, again, something that's frustrated us and I know a lot of Canucks fans, is the Canucks just don't really think outside the box a lot. Yes, I understand bringing in veterans to help with the youth, but are you telling me that you couldn't find a guy who could do what whatever Antoine Roussel does for a third of the price? I, 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 you can't tell me otherwise. When you look at guys going over to play in Europe, I mean, they would fill that role as well. Well, it's not even just the the cap dollars or the money. It's it's the term as well. Like, you know, I might be able to live with okay, let's overpay for one year of Roussel or one year of Beagle. Uh, just as like a stopgap, but you're not committed beyond that one year. And if you're completely out of the playoff race, you could probably flip them for an asset. But, you know, you're seeing that this year where like the Canucks aren't going to be able to trade Russell at the deadline because he has that extra year. Even the qualifying offer for Jake for Tannen because it's backloaded. It looks like it's going to be an issue and they're not going to be able to trade for Tannen. So it's not even just the dollar. It's For me, it's more the term they're giving these guys. You know, you gave Michael Delzato a three-year deal. You gave... Uh, Beagle and Russell, I believe, four-year deals. Um, it's just you don't need to commit that much money or that much term to aging bottom six players. And there's a bunch of guys on the farm as well who are looking like they could be ready in the next couple of years. And I again, I know next year Russell and Beagle for Tannen, they're still all under contract uh, in the forward core, but look at some of these numbers down in Utica right now. Jonah Gadvicevic, nine points in nine games, eight of them goals. Cole Lind, eight points in eight games, five of them goals. And Lucas Yasik, eight points in nine games as well. Only one of them is a goal, but he's he's been playing fantastic down there. There's another guy down in Utica who will come off the books is uh, Sven Berchi as well. Like, there's, there's options there. The youth movement has, I mean... I don't want to say it's worked, but it's it seems to be working in Vancouver. A lot of these kids, these top prospects who've graduated to the team have made an impact, and you're, you're seeing this core, and I want to see further development of that. Yeah, you need a couple of vets in there, but bring in some guys at reasonable hits. Maybe a guy like Jimmy Vesey all of a sudden could be a guy who fits into that in the long-term plans. I mean, who knows? We haven't seen anything from him yet. So, I mean, it could be a bit presumptuous to say that. But, again, it's it would be nice to see the, the team move away from these deals, especially when, like I said, man, you're going to be spending, who knows, $25 million probably on at least your four RFAs that you got to worry about after this year. I mean, geez, that's going to be a lot of cake. Yeah, the other guy who, and again, it's only his first professional year uh, playing hockey, uh, is uh, Will Lockwood. Lockwood's looked pretty solid down there as well. I, I don't think he's putting up a ton of points, but he's looking like he belongs. And then I, I believe Carson Focht is down there as well as another guy who, you know, looks like he could be a serviceable bottom six player for the future of this team. Um, yeah, the one thing that does worry me heading into the offseason is uh, the way Demko's playing. You, you know, I I don't think you're going to get him on the cheap. You know, he's all, his stock is only rising, unfortunately, for uh, the Canucks uh, trying to sign him for a cheap-ish deal. 
and I think he's only two years away from UFA, so you don't want to sign a bridge deal and walk him to UFA. You're going to want to try to lock him up long-term. What the dollars look like on that, I don't know. And if I'm in Demko's camp, I'm waiting to the end of the year. You know, I'm not in a rush oh, yeah. to sign a contract right now. Yeah, 100%. It's it's going to be a complicated one, and you are right. It's He's two years away from UFA status, so... Uh, I mean, maybe you could do a one-year deal, maybe, but is that really going to help? I don't know. Um, it's With Demko, it's either a one-year or a four-year plus. Um, it, that's really your only two options with the guy. Although, realistically, if you've decided that he's going to be good for four years, you probably want to add on another year or two onto that as well. But uh, it's he could be looking at Markstrom money, maybe a six-by-six. Six. I don't know. But all of a sudden, if you're putting six to him, maybe another million or so at Gaudet, and then roughly 10 each at Petey and Hughes, it's uh, it's it's going to make, again, anything you can get off the books out of those some of those contracts that we talked about is really going to help because they do have a few coming off the books. But that's where, again, we look at thinking outside the box, seeing if you can graduate some more of these kids next year, maybe get a couple of vets in at reasonable deals. And maybe VC at 27 years old as a UFA could be a guy like that as well. Before we get into the free pour, Doug, I wanted to just quickly give some props to Brock Besser uh, as well, because he has been just just killing it, man. Like, I mean, if, besides Demko, he's our team MVP this year. Would you disagree? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, he's definitely been the the best forward and the most consistent forward uh, for the Canucks this year. Uh, he would be my runner-up for MVP. Uh, the run Demko's on is unbelievable. But we've already praised Demko this episode, and you know how I feel about Brock. And again, I'm not going to say where I live, and I didn't actually share this story last episode, Pete. But uh, uh, the dog park I took my I take my dog to. Uh, last week uh, there was a, a blonde a blonde bombshell in the dog park with his two dogs. Uh, that's all I'll say. I didn't talk to him because I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. You got the ins. You both got dogs. You'd be like, so uh, how's how's the pooping today? You got you got an in with him. True, uh, but no, you're right. Brock has been awesome this year. I mean, he got another goal tonight against the Senators. Uh, he's just he has been the most consistent Canuck from a forward perspective all year. Uh, you know, he still makes defensive gaffes here and there. You know, but what player doesn't? But I think his defensive game and his play along the boards and his board battles have gotten a lot better. And even his passing. You know, not that he was a horrible passer, but he just seems to kind of like wait wait for the place to develop before making a pass. Where before it would almost be like that for Tannen, where he's got his head down, driving to the net, and then he's trying to force a pass. You know, across ice or back to the point or something like that. And he's he you could see he's seen the ice a lot better and even tonight I mean he hit the he hit the crossbar in overtime he's driving the net today too he's uh he's got a he, he's got a lot of swagger and a lot of confidence in his game right now it's great to see because there was a feeling that his progress was, had already peaked and we weren't sure what we were going to get out of him but Brock Besser does look like an all-star again he's tied for fifth in the league in goals he's being fantastic for the team a real bright spot Shall we take this into the free pour, Doug? Uh, let's do it. It's that time of the episode. It's the free pour open floor segment. And I'm just going to talk about Bill Belichick and what he's done in the last 48 hours or so. 
I believe the Patriots have spent more money in free agency in the past two days than they had in the past 10 years. Uh, they signed two outstanding tight ends in Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. Um, they got Matt Judon from the Baltimore Ravens, or formerly of the Baltimore Ravens, uh, who's a great uh, edge rusher. Uh, they added a couple of solid wide receivers as well. Uh, the big question with them is the quarterback. I know they did resign Cam Newton to a one-year, I believe, $14 million deal. Newton didn't look great last year. He didn't have a ton of weapons to throw to either. Uh, I did read two different articles written by two different people on The Athletic saying that they think that the Patriots have a real shot at acquiring Deshaun Watson if the Texans do if the Texans are thinking of trading him. So, I mean, whether or not that'll actually happen, I mean, that could just be wishful thinking from this Patriots fan right here. But I love that Bill Belichick, and this is why I think he is one of, if not the greatest coach in sports history, because he's not one of those guys who constantly sits back and forces uh, his style and his play on his players. You know, he adapts with the times, he adapts with the way the league is going and this year he had a ton of cap space saved up and he was able to pounce and sign some at least on paper guys that should be able to make a real difference heading into next year i still think the buffalo bills are going to be the best team in that division but the patriots should be making a strong strong push for that wild card spot that's a lot of Patriots talk for the, this podcast. Uh, there's been a, far too many Patriots mentions here. Uh, for me, I'm going to just, uh, I don't really have much to say this week. I am on staycation, and it is fantastic. It, I've had good weather so far, but I've never had this before. I've never had a break in Vancouver where I can just get up, do what I want, go for a bike ride, go for a run. I did a really awesome run out to East Van today ran around the Pacific Coliseum as part of the route, which uh, I always get a kick out of because I love the Coliseum. Uh, but yeah, it's just been really nice, just getting to do stuff that I like to do, and uh, it's been really enjoyable. And it feels like spring in the West End. I know the rain's coming, but having this break from work has been a godsend. It's been very nice. Also, the Seahawks didn't trade Wilson to the Bears. That's got to be a plus for you, Pete. Yeah, and uh, who did the Bears bring in? Was it Andy Dalton? Or, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. That's I, I know. There's a lot of disappointed Bears fans out there. Go out into the field and wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 68, just about in the books. The Yarmir Yager episode. The guy who played for almost every team and the Canucks could have drafted, but we went with Peter Nedved instead. How do you think the episode went, Doug? Uh, Yeah, I think it went really well. I don't know. I mean, you know, it was uh, probably a strong 7 to a light 8 overall. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, for uh, for a guy who's running on six and a half, maybe five hours sleep, uh, I feel good. And obviously, it sounds like you've been, you know, busy with uh, runs around uh, East Van and the Pacific Coliseum yourself. 
Yeah, I'm pretty tired today now, actually, though. I think it all uh, all kind of just hit me in the last little while. You know, you do a big run, and then you go and you lie on the couch and watch a Canucks game and have a beer because it is St. Patrick's Day. I, I, I had a, a beer today. That's uh, That's... Not normal. I usually like to celebrate St. Patrick's Day a bit with friends, but you know what I was thinking is that St. Patrick's Day is, I know it's not a holiday, but this is the first event that we've seen a COVID repeat of. Easter will be the second, but everything went haywire right before St. Patrick's Day last year, and this is the first repeat event. It's been that long. Yeah, I got a nice bottle of Irish whiskey. I picked up a, a Teeling whiskey uh, a last week there. It finished in a rum cask as well. So, you know, that that's a little bit different flavor profile on the palate. But, uh, yeah, it's a nice whiskey. So uh, once we're officially done recording this episode, I might have a, a late-night dram. Oh, that sounds that sounds lovely to be sure to be sure do you have a do you have a good Irish accent do you want to give the people an Irish accent or do you want to take a pass on that uh yes shillelaghs and four-leaf clovers <laughs> oh to it's be sure. terrible that's a, that's a good crack though Doug that's a good crack right there oh it'll be grand it'll be grand I have a feeling most people will have turned off the episode by now anyways, but we'll, for those of you still hanging around, we'll give you our plugs once more in case you don't know by now. I'm at Pete underscore gas. You can find as well this Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist on Spotify, and we add this outro track onto it, and there's a really good collection, over 60-plus tracks on there, lots of funk, soul, hip-hop, and kind of stuff around that genre. Make sure you give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Hasta Then he sipped his vex, then he clipped his vex, displayed the context. 